The, the topic for this morning is the joy of awakening and one of the things which is apparent when one spends even a little bit of time meditating is, is, is that it helps to bring the clarity to the senses and so then when you have contact with fragrances and sights and colors and sounds everything feels just so incredibly lucid clear it's very uh, pleasing so one, one um, place where uh, the meditation takes fruit and where there's a sense of joy that comes from this process of awakening is just that there's more joy that comes from sense contact. Uh, you know, as our attention gets a little bit settled, uh, we can feel things more acutely. And so, you know, the whole world of senses, the sights, this is what we see, and everything is just much more uh, vivid. That's one of the joys. So the tea break was an illustration of that, I think, for many people. Just being outside and smelling, smelling things and having a nice warm cup of tea, is just, it's just a, such a lovely experience. Then in the path of awakening, uh, the sense contact has pleasure to it, but we also know that it has limitation to it. So as, as delightful as sense contact is, is it changes. And even, even in Santa Barbara, where you've got blooms and flowers and fragrances so much of the year, you know, the sense contact is not something that one can depend upon, you know. And so as we get uh, open, as our systems open, we can appreciate this. But inevitably, anytime there's attachment, there's going to be suffering. Even if we're attached to something that's beautiful, there's suffering that's involved with that. So the next kind of joy that comes from awakening is the joy that comes from the mind understanding the Brahma-viharas or the noble abodes of compassion, of loving-kindness, of joy, and of equanimity. And again, we can see that in our own meditation practice as we're sitting here. You know, even the ability to respond and meet something like, you know, a distraction or a thought or a slight tension or contraction, something's arising, we don't think we want it to be there. You know, just that ability to catch that movement and respond with, with an embracing awareness that allows there's a kind of opening that, uh, that makes it possible for that tension and contraction to begin to soften and release. So compassion as a response opens up our life to a, another level of joy. Now, obviously, the irony is, is that often compassion arises because we're, we're in a state of almost like a quivering empathy with, another, with, a, with suffering. And so there, it's, it's ironic that that allows for joy. And yet, check it out. It seems that that, in fact, is the case. So kindness and compassion opens up our ability to rest into something which is quite a bit bigger than the kind of immediacy of our own personal dramas and stories. And being in something bigger is something that connects with joy. Having joy in another person's joy. You know, this is a little bit of a stretch for many people. You know, somebody gets the the parking space and you go it's rare that if somebody says good for you (laughs) happy for you (laughs) but that's actually what that movement does rather than I want it or I should have had it or you got it there too quick and you didn't play right it's like yeah good for you you got it there you know 
And so that movement where one begins to get in touch with and feel a sense of other people's joy, even in situations that seems like the opposite should happen. It should trigger a sense of competitiveness. It should trigger a sense of anger. It should trigger all those other things. The capacity to move one's attention, to recognize the joy of another person's joy, is a whole other awakening. And you can see, you know, that it has potential in it. Yeah. Now, equanimity is, is not something that most of us do very well. I don't have many psychological structures in my personality that are, that are really well endowed with equanimity. Equanimity was something I had to trick myself into learning how to do. Because it's just like, you know, I don't do that, you know. But one of the things about equanimity is, is, is that kind of steadiness. Is, is that one's not going up with the ups and down with the downs and round and rounds with the round and rounds. And as a result of that, there's a sense of like rock, you know, solid earth. It's like really grounded. I've been living in Colorado Springs and I live just three blocks away from the Garden of the Gods. I don't know if any of you have been there, but those are 250 million year old rocks that come from the first set of Rocky Mountains. We're on set three, okay? And one of the things that I love about hanging out with the rocks is is that I really get that. I really get that sense of just ground and stability and it's like no matter what's going on, there's just something that is big enough and still enough and old enough and wise enough to hold it. It just doesn't move. And as I feel it in my own body, what that feels like is I get a somatic correlate of what I can relate to. It gives capacity for the kinds of which is our daily life and is what happens in our mind. I mean, it happens in my mind. Maybe your mind it doesn't happen. But that's the kind of stuff that I have to feel in my own internal experience. And yet when I touch the ground, when I actually get a sense of what that kind of groundedness is, you know, it has a completely different perspective on like the urgent crisis and dramas of our day-to-day life. It just doesn't flap in the same way that we're used to flapping. So we have the joy that comes from senses. And, you know, the other day, uh, Lauren and I went to the beach. And the first thing that I thought was, well, you know, if there's any dolphins or whales in the, in the ocean, I'd be very happy if they came and visited. And just a couple seconds after that, I saw two spouts of a whale. And it was like, wow, you know. Not only was I delighted to see the whale, but there was such a sense of affirmation that one can make that kind of wish, and it is so quickly it comes. And then we were sitting on the beach, and not long afterwards, there, the, the dolphins came right in near shore to us. And we did a little chant for them, and as soon as we finished the chant, they just headed right out to sea, you know. And for me, there's some deep sense of, I don't know, a sense of well-being that comes when I have a feeling of that the, the life around me is something that I'm in direct relationship with, and that even whales and dolphins that I don't have as immediate blood family, there's a sense of kinship with. And when I have that kind of contact with them, it connects me to being part of a, of a flow or a web or a sense of, 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 of a life force, life web, that I am part of weaving 
And there's this deep sense of, of joy that comes from recognizing that. It's not like I'm a solid, separate, individual blob that has no connection with anything. It's like my sense of connection is everywhere my attention goes. And my whole life feels fuller as a result of that. Now, one of the things that I've learned in my experience over these decades in meditating is how much my attention was captivated by drama. And so, you know, I have real strong drama queen tendencies. And so that would be, you know, if it was extremely wonderful or extremely horrible, it would like really captivate my interest. But everything that was neutral, it was like I wasn't interested. It was like I didn't even notice it was happening. And so then when I began to meditate after years, probably more like decades, I began to wake up to this patterning that... It had to be really extreme in order for me to feel like I would, could locate myself as a person. And if it wasn't extreme, I didn't notice it. And then with interest, I began to bring attention to the neutral things, the things that don't register in extremes, the things that aren't particularly positive or negative. And to my surprise, that ended up being most of life. (laughs) And to my delight, when I started waking up to that, I began to realize that there's a whole huge dimension of life that I had never even paid attention to. And so, you know, when the feeling of the wind contacting the skin or the cloth on the skin or the contact with the feet on the ground... You know, just these sensations that don't have any particularly strong positive or negative quality to them, and zero drama, you know. When I began to bring attention to that, then again, it was as if my life had more of a three-dimensional quality to it rather than just monochrome, you know. And then because of that, then there was no longer so much the need to be moving into the drama in order to locate myself. Because I could feel presence and being in neutral. It didn't have to be in drama or in extreme. And then as a result of that, not only were my adrenals happier, but you know, my whole system started to, to shift from going from very strong up and down to just being able to enjoy things that were softer. You know, the, the, the range didn't have to be so extreme in order to get my attention. So in my own journey, in my own exploration, you know, these are some experiments and some results of the practice that have borne fruit. And so it takes a certain amount of faith to realize that practice brings these kinds of results to stay with it for, you know, a longer period of time. So one can have a sense, oh yeah, meditation is good and, you know, and it, it would be nice to feel a little bit more relaxed, you know, so or maybe a little bit healthier. But we don't realize that Well, meditation has many, many more dimensions and depths to it than that. And one of the territories is that meditation brings us to is to the things in our lives which are actually quite challenging. And for myself, it was really sobering to realize after about 23 years of meditation how much of my internal world I had no access to. You know, I had nicely buried it into nice little places under blankets and hidden it in closets and in corners. 
And I didn't know, you know, how fear was motivating me or how anger had been kind of solidified in my system and, you know, how it was driving me. I didn't know that. And so it took having the kind of years of practice and having a sense of ease and well-being, having a sense of relaxation and welcome, having joy in the practice and ease and well-being in my body in order to be have the ground enough to be able to open up to some of these things which were unsettling. They were scary. They were hard to work with. And when I was able to do that, as challenging as the territory is to negotiate, it was so freeing to realize that I could relax in my own skin in a way that was a completely new way, a completely new level of inner sense of well-being, when I was able to look at this stuff that I had not been able to look at for all of these years. So another irony in the joy of awakening is is that it gives us the ability to look at the things that we are most frightened of. And when we are able to do that and face it and realize that these demons are not these big horrible monsters out there. They are these ones in here that we need to respect and honor and come to terms with. And when we do, that they don't have the same power in our lives. They don't drive us. They don't make our lives run out of our control. And that sense of being able to know all of this stuff, you know, to enable, to know it, to understand it, to be able to walk through it and manage it without being so terrified from it, actually supported in very deep sense of ease and well-being and a sense of fearlessness, which was a fearlessness different than the kind of fearlessness that I had known before. The fearlessness that I had known before in a strange kind of way was actually motivated by fear. And this was not. And that is a big difference. So one of the joys that comes from awakening is it supports us for being able to do our deep work, understanding what that is, and bridge the gap between the profound insights that we have into the totality of who we are and what our life experience is about. I mean, I probably, I've heard, and I imagine you have heard as well, I mean, it's not too hard to see examples of people giving really brilliant talks, you know. And they get off the Dhamma seat, and there is a trail of chaos that follows everything that they have contact with. And this is not a kind of Dhamma that I aspire to. You know, for me, I feel that there is a real genuine value in bringing these profound insights into the totality of who we are and having our life be an expression of what we understand rather than an expression of the gap of what we don't understand. And yet, it's easy to say that. And to do that requires a lot of ground. And the ground requires joy. It must be there. We actually have got to have a sense of joy as a physical and tangible experience in order to begin opening up some of this stuff and look at it. We don't have it. We can't go there. It's not enough ground. 
So we have the sense of joy that comes from contact with our senses in a way where our senses are not constantly distracted by preoccupations or worry or time constraints and all the rest of that. We have the sense of a heart opening up to joy and compassion, to loving kindness, to equanimity. The joy that comes from being able to connect with and understand what our actual work is and being able to attend to it. And then there is the joy that comes from recognizing that as we are able to allow our attention to rest in the knowing of something, the right there is the freedom from it. And so it's very deeply embedded in our systems that the freedom that we want is the freedom away from the things that we don't want. And yet when we learn to let our attention rest in knowing, we can see that right in the knowing is the place where the freedom is, independent on whether or not the object changes. So this ability to see freedom right where the suffering is then allows us to rest in something which does not require circumstances to be in any way different from the way that they are. Our bodies don't have to be different. The weather doesn't have to be different. The the environment doesn't have to be different. The people do not have to be behaving differently. And right there, where there's the not wanting, is the ability to rest in that which knows not wanting. And what knows not wanting? What knows fear? What knows anger? Is not affected by them. It is free from the influence of what it knows. In the same way that a mirror is not affected by what it reflects. And so in this way we change our frame of reference from me being here doing the meditation out there to shifting our frame of reference so that our attention is resting in the knowing And what arises are objects. Some are pleasant, some are unpleasant, some we like, some we don't like. But like the sky is not engaged in a major project to organize the clouds. You know, we can allow attention to rest in knowing without being preoccupied about what kind of things are coming up. Sometimes what comes up is beautiful. And it's very much in congruence with our identity of who we take ourselves to be and what we like to experience. And a lot of the times, it isn't. But when our attention is resting in the spaciousness of knowing in the same way that the sky is open, clouds come and go according to their own conditions. It doesn't need anybody to organize them or to do a project in order to change them. When we get a sense of that, as what that actually means in terms of our direct experience with experience, it opens up a huge spaciousness. What it means is is that anything is welcome. Everything is welcome. Nothing needs to be other than the way that it is. When we see that, it does not make our ability to make wise decisions uh, 
useless. It crystallizes our ability to make wise decisions. And so with that understanding then is the ability to see, well, in this situation, it's possible to make choices. And the choices support the actions that are to me congruent with my values. But it's not coming from the same place of fear and desire and needing to get things rid of certain things and get certain things, locate them and secure them. It's coming from a deeper place of wisdom and understanding. And coming from that place makes all of the difference. Because acting from wisdom and compassion is altogether different than acting from fear and desire and aversion. Even though apparently sometimes the actions may look similar, they're not in terms of the effect that they have. So the joy of awakening brings us to a place of freedom that's not dependent on conditions being any particular way. Now, I don't know what that does for you when you hear that, if that sounds like good news or bad news. But just imagine what it would be like to be completely free without asking or needing or expecting the conditions of your own body and heart and mind to be different. Or the body, hearts and minds of the people around you to be different. Or the society to be different. That one's freedom was so strong and so clear that life could be as it was. And one understood one's sense of peace and joy and clarity right there. Not different from there. So meditation is meant to bring about these kinds of joys. Our commitment our skill and our virtues contribute to the way that we practice and to the results that we have with practice. But this is the kind of joy that comes from waking up and from committing to live one's life in order to wake up. So each person needs to decide for him or herself, you know, is this worthwhile? And how does this rate with coffee and jasmine and nice beaches? Is there worth putting time and energy into this? Understanding the territory and how to work through the things that arise in a way where ease and well-being are the result. So this is a little offering to consider for the morning. And now we can have a longer break. And uh, I need to finish eating by 12 o'clock. So it's a little bit um, not Santa Barbara time to do that. (laughs) 
But maybe what we can do is have a 20-minute walking meditation and then meet out in the park and, and, uh, and gather together for lunch. How does that sound? Yeah? Maybe it would be better to meet, meet after in the, park? the meditation and then walk over to the park together. So, so we know where. Yeah. Is that a good idea? Okay. I'm going to ring the bell after 20 minutes. I'll ring the bell after 20 minutes. And if anyone would like a few minutes of walking meditation instructions, you're welcome to stay behind. Otherwise, there's this whole corridor here to walk outside. And again, the encouragement is to just go out this back way. And then just across the street is a beautiful park. If you're in the park, you're likely not to hear a bell. So just keep eye on a clock so that we can sync synchronize now, come back here in 20 minutes and then we'll gather and head out to the, to, to a place together so we don't get lost. Is that right? Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.